Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Dimas. And I'm Daniel Almaguer. And today's topic is on Christianity among other worldviews. Mm -hmm. That's always a good question because yep. people are always wondering, what's the right one? What should I believe in? So it should be a good episode. Yeah, just to kind of how to engage a variety of worldviews mm -hmm. and how do they compare. Right. In today's Everyday Apologetics, we'll hear from Cynthia Chung on how worldviews affect scientific development. And in Science Faith Connection, Jeff Swarnk will talk with Hugh Ross about whether science can test the truth of a religion. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. We'll see. First up will be Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing Dr. Alan Tai on the common ground between Christianity and Eastern religions. So let's go ahead and check it out. Welcome to Culture Talk, where we talk about culturally relevant topics that you can use to start conversations about your faith. I'm Sandra Demas, and I'm joined today with Dr. Alan Tai. You are a scientist in the medical ultrasound field. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, we're so excited. Now, I know that you're originally from Hong Kong, so we're going to be kind of pulling from your experience having grown up in Hong Kong. And we want to talk about the topic of how we can find common ground between Christianity and Eastern religions. So if you can just give us a quick kind of synopsis of what is the, the worldview perspective or landscape look like in Hong Kong? Well, first uh, we need to understand uh, Hong Kong was uh, a unique position. Uh, people call it East, Midwest, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, at one point in time it was uh, under the British uh, uh, colony. And then uh, it turned over to um, uh, mainland China in 1997. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, in order to understand the historical reason, uh, how uh, White Lao Christianity is the uh, number one religion, 15% uh, mm -hmm. of the population uh -huh. in Hong Kong. But 100 years ago, it's only uh, less than 1%. Oh, wow. So 15%, uh, that makes it the number one religion? Yeah, because oh, uh, the other religion, uh, traditional mm -hmm. uh, religion, uh, 13% and the Buddhism, 13% uh, and then uh, other religion uh, and other, uh, some people don't have religion. Mm. But the majority in terms of religion is the uh, Christianity in Hong Kong. Really interesting. So 15% is the majority percentage, uh, you know, and that is the Christian, the Christian worldview. That's really interesting. So you said 100 years ago, it was only 1% who identified as Christian. Now we've got 15%. How did we see the change, or what prompted the change? Yeah, when I, uh, as uh, my experience and uh, study the history, uh, that because at the beginning, people uh, misunderstand uh, the Christian faith. They mm -hmm. thought it's a foreigner, a Westerner. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Jesus Christ is a foreigner. Uh, however, when the missionary uh, bring in uh, the message of Christ, mm -hmm. which will bring uh, people uh, the love, the hope, and the faith. Mm -hmm. And not only by uh, human word, uh, but witness for Christ. So for example, uh, they bring in the uh, Western medicine. Uh, although uh, Hong Kong a uh, long time ago, uh, 100 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, even now they have a Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. But uh, for important uh, diseases like need surgery and uh, need a special medicine, mm -hmm. then uh, they need uh, Western uh, medicine. And right. the missionary uh, bring in the medicine to help, mm -hmm. to care for people so right. that 
a lot of people get uh, into the hospital, uh, not only get uh, physically healing, but hear the message of Christ, the uh, good news about Jesus Christ, uh, bring them to the real uh, faith. Right. So that in that case, uh, it, more people is uh, believing uh, in Jesus mm -hmm. uh, during the uh, last hundred years or so. Right. Oh, I love that. So what you're saying then is that because of the missionaries who brought Western medicine and who mm. brought this love and care for people, Why? that the people in Hong Kong were now open to receiving Christ. And now we've got 15% who identifies. Yeah. So that's wonderful. And I think that's very encouraging for anyone who is on the mission field, knowing that what you were saying, it's not only the the word, but the works, the Why? action Why? behind that, um, mm -hmm. that motivates people to explore worldviews. Maybe they weren't, they weren't going to explore. So in the mission field, one of the things that I think is important is to kind of establish some common ground with the people Why? you're interacting with. So what are some, uh, some commonalities between Christianity and Eastern religions that one can use to kind of have some talking points? Yeah, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, just like in uh, other Chinese culture, it's very uh, much influenced by the Confucius teaching, mm. which emphasize on education and the family value and respect the leader or the senior. Uh, so uh, this can be a common ground uh, because uh, the missionary not only open hospital, but the uh, school, uh, elementary school, uh, high school and college uh, have a Christian uh, background. Mm. Uh, they uh, found that uh, the school from the Christian uh, background mm -hmm. trained uh, the student to be one of the top uh, students. Mm -hmm. And uh, the parents really don't mind as long as uh, you have a, education. a good education. <laughs> so, uh, so they send their kid to the uh, Christian-related uh, school. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is a common ground because uh, Confucius uh, emphasized on uh, education. Right. So uh, when uh, you bring in the uh, good education system uh, as a testimony of mm -hmm. the Christian faith, mm -hmm. uh, it's very helpful. Yeah. And eventually the student in the high school uh, or even college uh, they listen to the gospel. A lot of them uh, become Christian and they turn around, become a teacher mm -hmm. and help other students. So this is, uh, I think, is one of the common ground. Uh, right. The other one is the family value. Mm -hmm. As you know, uh, I mean, the, basically the East culture very emphasized to uh, honor your parents. Right. And in the Bible, the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is uh, emphasize uh, the honor your parents. Right. This can be a common ground. Mm -hmm. We both uh, value uh, our parents because mm -hmm. that's uh, our creator want us to honor our parents. Yeah. So this uh, can be one of the common ground. Uh, I love that. So the common ground that we can find between Christianity and specifically Confucianism would be um, the importance of education Why? and the importance of family values. So I really, I think that's a great way to kind of connect with people and be able to, you know, just have that have that common ground and start from there. Of course, there are a bunch of distinctions between Christianity and Eastern religions, um, but I think that it's important to establish that that common ground. Right. Nowadays, uh, beside the uh, common ground we uh, mm -hmm. share about, it is the science can be a common ground because uh, science low boundary, mm -hmm. boundary, and uh, basically we can. Uh, 
based on, for example, RTB resources uh, mm -hmm. to uh, share, not only in Hong Kong, but other countries, mm -hmm. that, hey, there's a creator. Uh, you look at the wonder of this uh, universe, whether from uh, the uh, solar system, mm -hmm. the galaxy, all this is in agreement with what the Bible uh, tells us mm -hmm. about the creation story. But more than that, of course, the message of love from uh, Jesus Christ, yeah. that is the focus point we want to share to human, uh, everyone, yeah. that uh, there is hope uh, with the confusion. Uh, I mean, the people mix up with uh, idea, human value. Uh, so the message of Christ, uh, bringing love and mm -hmm. faith and hope is mm -hmm. very important during this uh, uh, current, nowadays uh, situation. Yeah. Right. No, thank you so much. I think that is very, very helpful to just also point to exploring science and exploring our creation right. and, and who our creator is. So thank you so much for that. There's plenty to unpack here. So I want to encourage our viewers and our listeners, if you want to hear more from Dr. Alan Tai, visit his website, scienceandlife.org. And you can also visit reasons.org and search for Alan Tai. A recent Pew survey discovered that 73% of people who never attend church or seldom attend church see conflict between science and the Christian faith. But the question is, is that necessarily the case? Is there truly conflict between science and Christianity? I'm joined today by Dr. Cynthia Chung, who's an astrophysicist and a Christian who's going to help uh, unpack this question. Uh, Dr. Chung, I think many people might be surprised to discover that it was a Christian worldview that laid the foundation for the emergence of modern science. And so I'd like to get your perspective on just how important the Christian worldview is for science, not only because you are a scientist and a Christian, but also because you come from a Chinese background and you have familiarity with Eastern religions and the Eastern worldview. So what is unique about Christianity that laid the foundation for science? Um, I, I came from a very different culture. I was brought up in really a Chinese culture. And I often wonder, okay, um, why science did not fully develop in China, whereas a lot of the initial technologies, like printing, um, like the explosives, uh, geometry, all these things had the initial, initial development in China, but never flourished and blossomed like in the West. And I came to the conclusion was that uh, partly the culture didn't encourage the kind of development, and partly it was because of the philosophical thinking. Um, in Christianity, we believe that the world was created by a creator and everything was good. So we have this um, foundation to actually search and discover the, the nice things that God has created for us. So it's okay to actually um, explore and discover the physical world. Whereas in the East, uh, the Eastern philosophies, uh, the perception of reality is much less objective. People look at physical things as if they are, may not be real. Uh, because for example, in Buddhism, um, Buddhism addressed a lot of suffering because uh, the Chinese, a lot of East Asian countries, went through a lot of suffering. So they want to address the, the question of suffering. And they think suffering is due to a lot of desire for physical things. And so they essentially want to do away with physical things and essentially empty ourselves of the desires of the physical things and say, if you don't perceive them as a real existence, there's, there's no more of this kind of desire, so you won't suffer. 
So the end result is that um, they want to empty themselves of all these. So they don't want to even touch the physical things. And so ultimately, you know, they just let everything be. And nobody would have the incentive to actually go and discover and explore the world. They, they went inward hmm. and just go into the inner self to discover and try to be connected to this mystic you know, force outside of themselves so that they would not be suffered because of these physical things. So it actually affected the entire development of the technology and the science. And in the ultimate thing is that you know, the country as a whole actually did not you know, advance. Uh, and a lot of human suffering resulted in that. Like there's no development in medicine and a lot of scientific technology which helped the, the, the whole world nowadays. And so it's very interesting. The more I look into it, the more I think, you know, the, the cultural thinking, the idea um, of how you perceive the world is very important. If you don't have that foundation and say, you know, it's okay to actually discover and look at the world uh, as something real and something that, that could be studied objectively, you would not go into it. Yeah, well, of course, now today, science is very important in China yes. and other countries in the East. So what's going on there? They, they wanted to catch up with the Western world. They all of a sudden discover that, oh, uh, you just uh, concentrate on philosophy and literature and humanities, that's not good enough. And so when I was growing up, anybody who's any good has to go into science technology. We're not allowed to go into literature, arts, and the things because, uh, you know, because we are backwards because we, we, we have been only concentrating on the old things. So they encourage us. We, there's a very strong impetus for us to go into science technology. All my brothers and sisters, all my schoolmates, almost invariably, they, they study science and technology. So it's really the influence of the West is yes. what you're saying that, that is shaping the viewpoint that science is important in countries like China. Yeah, because they see how advanced um, like America, you know, the West is compared to, to uh, you know, they're more backward, and I say the, the developing countries. And they, they see technology being the drivers. And when they came to the United States or, or the Western world, they all of a sudden see, you know, why? They always ask why. And a lot of times we tell them, you, you know why? Because there's fundamental difference. It's not just a religion. It's something that, that affects the worldview and because we know the true God who give us this view of um, how we should explore the world that he has created. And these are laws that he has set out in the beginning. If you discover what he has done, you can utilize it for, for the betterment of mankind. Hello, Jeff Zwerink. Welcome to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we look at important scientific truth and see how they relate to the truth of Christianity. Today I'm joined by the founder and former president of uh, Reasons to Believe, Dr. Hugh Ross, and we're going to ask the question of whether science can help evaluate the truth of a religion. Hugh, it's good to have you here today. Oh, thank you. I mean, there's part of this that I know your answer is going to be yes, because I know looking at the various world religions scientifically was part of how you came to know Christ. It was. But I, I really just want to kind of open it up for you and let you explain how did you investigate that or why did you think science could weigh in on this question? Well, first of all, it was my science, especially my astronomy and physics studies, that convinced me there had to be a beginning to the universe. And there's a beginning, there has to be a beginner. So I began to say, hey, I need to find this cosmic beginner. Mm -hmm. I was not raised in a Christian home or a Christian neighborhood, didn't really know how to begin that search. 
So I said, hey, I'm going to look at Emmanuel Kant and Rene Descartes. And uh, they had some interesting things to say, but it just wasn't answering my questions. And then I began to look at the world's holy books. But I made a commitment that when I began to go through the world's holy books, I would put each of them in the best possible interpretive light. And, but when I did that with the Quran, the Hindu Vedas, the Buddhist commentaries, Zoroastrianism, Baha'i, etc., I discovered even when you interpret their writings in the best possible interpretive light, uh, you can demonstrate that there are serious errors when they address geography, science, and history. So I want I want to get at that because I think uh, that's rare in today's environment, at least, to put the other person's argument or the other person or a position in the best possible light. It seems like a lot of things there today are just how ludicrous can I make the other position sound? Why did you come to that approach? And I mean, what motivated that? And how did that influence your, your results? Well, I kind of felt uh, that, hey, you can take any book and put it in the worst possible interpretive life and say, hey, this is nonsense. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, that's not going to show you what's true or what's not true. Let's put it in the best possible interpretive light and see what you get. And I felt, you know, if a book fails the test, when you put it in the best possible interpretive light, then, hey, okay, it's appropriate to dismiss that as a pathway to truth. So it seems like that's kind of similar to how we approach scientific investigations. Sure. It's not like, can I arrange things so that this kind of works out as you that You have to test things fairly extensively. And that, you know, it seems like putting things in the best possible light is part of that good scientific testing. It is. I mean, that's how we do scientific research. I mean, if you try to put your model in the best possible interpretive light and everything you try fails and things get worse and worse as you learn more and more, say maybe this is the incorrect model but if you're finding you're making headway hey how we're actually understanding things a little more detail we're answering more questions we're resolving anomalies that's a good clue you're on the pathway to truth and you know and I did finally pick up a bible it wasn't that I found a book that was completely free of anomalies I'll tell you there are a lot of passages there still are passages in the bible I don't understand but I put it to the test on what is clear and what is understandable. And, you know, this God that created the universe, what we see in the universe, what we see in science, is complete consistency and harmony. So you don't get physics contradicting biology mm. or, or geology. Uh, we do see that it seems to be uh, governed by a single mind, a single purpose, a single creator. So I look for those same characteristics in the books. I said, if this book is really inspired by the one that created the universe, it's going to reveal the same attributes that we see when we study the record of nature. And so I began to look for what I thought, well, you know, when we humans write something, uh, we're imperfect, we don't know everything, you're going to be able to find mistakes, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to find errors. So I began to look for errors, you know, provable errors, not probable errors, but provable errors. And once I found maybe a dozen provable errors and say a claim holy book, I would say, okay, this is something that humans invented. It's not something that came from the creator of the universe. Can you give a couple of examples? I mean, obviously, that, this was a fairly uh, extensive endeavor you took, but what were some of the things that you would put in the class of provable errors in, in various of the religious texts? Well, probably, the, I mean, the first thing I really looked at was Hinduism. They have this enormous set of holy books called the Vedas. Mm -hmm. 
but looking at that, because I knew Hinduism was based on this idea of reincarnation. So I said, okay, where does this come from? And what I discovered was it's based on the fundamental principle that the universe reincarnates. The universe reincarnates, Hinduism says, everything reincarnates. Mm. Uh, but when you look at the Hindu Vedas, that's one place where it gets specific. It says the universe goes through these cycles of birth, death, and rebirth, and the period is 4.32 billion years. Well, that, we, that specifically? It's that specific. Wow, okay. So I said, well, I know that number is not correct. Uh, but I also had friends who were studying astronomy like I was, and they said, hey, Hugh, it gets it to within an order of magnitude. The real number is 10 to 20 billion. It got it within the ballpark. But I said, we still know that 4.32 isn't correct. Moreover, we know that we can't come up with a physical mechanism that could rebound the universe in the way mm -hmm. the Hindus claim. I says, we can measure the entropy of the universe, and it's about a factor of 100 million times too high to support Hindu theology. Um, and that wasn't the only example. The other thing I noticed, and I saw this in a lot of the whole non-biblical holy books, the language is highly repetitive and highly vague. Hmm. And that immediately raised my suspicion. It's like this book is trying to prove to me that it's spiritual, but it's trying too hard to prove to me that it's hmm. spiritual. Okay. And I said, that's what a human author would do if they're trying to persuade you this is some kind of spiritually true book. When I picked up the Bible, I didn't see any of that esoteric, spiritual, repetitious, vague language. So I noticed that as a difference right away. The other thing I noticed is it wasn't vague about describing attributes of history, geography, and science. Moreover, it predicted future scientific discoveries and future historical events. And I said, I can put this to the test. So, so what are some of the things, you know, just in the last couple of minutes we have here, what were some of the bigger points that the Bible made that you said, ah, yes, I can, I can find alignment between that and what the scientific record says? And what were some of the predictions that you thought were most profound? Well, I mean, I like to start at page one of mm -hmm. books. So right on page one of the Bible is the account of creation. And it's a chronology. You know, God does this in a sequence of six creation days. And so I carefully examined the sequence of events, recognized everything is in the correct chronological order, and I carefully looked for things that I could prove were wrong, and I recognized, okay, this is not in English. I gotta be careful mm. not to overinterpret the English. But I realized everything seems to be correctly described in the correct chronological order, and I was unable to find any other creation texts in any other religious texts haven't got anywhere close to that degree of accuracy. The Bible stood alone, getting everything in the right order, everything correctly described. I realized I was way beyond the science of uh, Moses. So that was one piece of evidence that told me, maybe this really is inspired by the one that did all the deeds. Last question uh, and a quick answer. What do you find as one of the most interesting predictions that you have found to be true in our scientific studies that the Bible has made? Well, what impressed me is before I became a Christian, the Bible talks about the universe having a beginning that includes the beginning of space and time itself. And I was living at a time when astronomers and physicists were actually proving that point through Big Bang cosmology and the theory of general relativity. 
uh, that the laws of physics don't change. And then one of those laws is a pervasive law of decay. And I said, that again is way beyond the science mm. of the original Bible authors. Well, thanks, Hugh. I really appreciate your comments. You know, when we look at Scripture, it actually says to look at creation, to see how it behaves, that that actually helps us understand. So we would expect Christianity to have this alignment between what God reveals in his Scripture and what God has revealed in creation. And as Hugh's describing, they line up very well. In fact, that gives us a powerful tool to go out and spread the gospel. You know, I would encourage you to go check out, go to reasons.org and check out Hugh's book on this, Always Be Ready. It's a great resource for seeing how Hugh has used these scientific discoveries to spread the gospel, how you can be more convinced the gospel is true, and how you can go spread it as well. We hope this episode has helped equip you to share your faith with compassion and confidence. And you know, I think it's really helpful to be able to have some talking points as you talk with people from different worldviews, like right. how to find some common ground. I really like approaching conversations, finding common ground as opposed to focusing on differences. So I hope that this episode right. helped equip people to do that. And don't forget, subscribe to the show and find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2819show. We'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe hear what you think about engaging different worldviews. Right. And if you would like the audio version of the show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or most major podcast services. Just search Reasons to Believe Podcast. See you next week. See ya.